Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Anybody here like moving? Is moving like one of the most terrible things that's ever existed on the earth? No. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Ken's just like, I don't mind moving. You like, you like moving? Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's one heck of a way to, to get rid of stuff. Um, moving to me is the worst thing that's ever happened. I, I, I can't stand it at all. Um, we, we did, we helped out when uh, Pastor Todd and uh, Ms. Deb moved down to Sebring, and they had a truck of stuff, right? Not an enormous amount, but a whole big U-Haul truck of stuff. And we unloaded that truck, and it was a, what was it, it, I mean, not want to exaggerate, was it about a half hour? Probably. Yeah, it was, it was literally an entire full-fledged house of stuff. And the church body in Sebring just tattooed that truck, and it was a half hour, and that thing was empty. I I can't even sweep a room in a half hour. It was was crazy. I was just looking at it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, wow, that's that's how you do it. You know, moving isn't so bad when there's a bunch of people. Now, we did leave the house full of boxes, and it was like, all right, welcome. Have a good one. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's it's this idea of, of, you know, Helping out, being a part of a team, you know, the, the load being lighter when, when multiple people are, are there to help burden, you know, handle some of that burden, right? So we're, I titled this, this um, end of Galatians, so Galatians chapter 6, the burdensome gospel. What is the gospel? We've been talking about this for quite a few weeks now. When I say, when I say the gospel, what, am I, what, what is that? Yeah, there you go, okay. So the good news of Christ, right? Jesus paid for our sins. We can have a connection with God, right? We've talked about atonement law, right? We've beat atonement law to death. Would you guys agree with that? We, uh, we can now understand atonement law like maybe no other, except for, you know, uh, Hebrews. But yeah, that's fine, right? We've done really well with that, but this idea of atonement, but a burden, what, 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 what is, when, you, when I say burden, what pops into your head? What's that? Hardship. Okay, absolutely. Donkeys? Pack mules? Okay, I was, I was going to ask you to elaborate on that. Um, donkeys, there you go. Um, I don't know where we're going with that one. Yeah, so uh, this idea of, of carrying this load, right? What if I were to tell you that part of the gospel message is that now we have this connection with Christ and we get to live with one another in this body, and part of that means we're going to have to actually connect with one another and, like, live life with one another. And when a problem arises, we're going to have to, like, talk to one another about that. We're going to have to deal with that stuff. And it's a lot easier to live in this world, this fallen world, this sinful world, when we have a group of believers around us who are following Christ. We can help share that burden. And that's actually what Paul calls them to at the end of Galatians here. So let's jump into our key principle. 
Bloop. Right? I got, I got like two inches off the ground. That's all I got. I'm, I'm 31 and overweight. Um, the key principle is bearing each other's burdens is both a benefit of the body and a benefit to the body. It's a lot of words. Let's get through that. Bearing each other's burdens. We understand what a burden is, right? Bearing it, coming alongside, getting my shoulders involved with your issues, you getting your shoulders involved with mine, right? Bearing one another's burdens is both a benefit to the person that you're helping and it's a benefit to the body. Who's the body? Us. We're the body. Why would it be a benefit to us to carry someone else's burden? Whoa, it's a, yeah, absolutely. It's encouraging to us. It's kind of what he made us for. He made us to bring honor and glory to him. And part of the church body, part of what we're called to do is to connect with one another and to be around one another and to bear each other's burdens. And guess what happens when you do what you were built for? Good stuff. Good stuff. Fun. It doesn't, it's not always clean. It's not always sanitary. It can be ugly. But when we come alongside a, a brother or sister and they're in sin and we interact with them and we help bear the burden of that, it can be an incredibly therapeutic and beautiful thing. That's what we're going to study this morning. You guys excited? Are you guys excited? Seriously? We're about to tattoo Galatians. It's going to be done. We're done with Galatians. One, two, three. Woo! There you go. All right, now we're now we're moving. So as we as we read through Galatians, we're gonna gonna read all the verses first. As we do that, I want you to do me a favor. As we read through this, look for the situations of the burdens. As we read through Galatians chapter six, you'll see Paul as he highlights them as we move through it. We're gonna read through it pretty quickly, but I think you'll see them jump out to you in Galatians chapter six. Verse one begins with brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law themselves. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my own body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So remember that this is Paul ending a letter. What was he addressing in this letter? Galatians. He was writing it to the Galatians. What was the key issue of the entire letter? It was a certain kind of law. Circumcision, yeah. And it was atonement law, right? Because remember, that was the whole issue. You had the atonement law. So remember, we, told, we, covered, we had the illustration of the blanket, right? So Jesus has washed away our sin. It's no longer covered over. So that's the core issue of the book. Paul is writing to them to clarify, saying, guys, you're missing it. You're trying to take Jesus' sacrifice and add to it. You're trying to say that Jesus plus what equals salvation? They're trying to say circumcision. They're trying to say the law. But, our, but the answer to that question is what? Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. Absolutely, right? You guys know this, right? So Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And that's the problem that Paul's addressing. So now he's transitioned, right? Remember last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, right? We talked about walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Do we want to walk in the Spirit or the flesh? Spirit. So walking in the flesh was all about self, right? It was about self-glorification. Everything's about me. Then you had walking in the Spirit, which was about bringing honor and glory to God, right? Those were the key differences between those two things. And he finalizes that argument here, okay? So we're going to talk about some burdensome scenarios. That's where we're going to be this morning. You're going to see five of those. The first one that you notice is the ensnared person, okay? You see this in verse 1. This is the caught person, they're caught in their sin, right? But don't miss this. They must be dealt with in gentleness. Remember what gentleness meant from last week. It was strength, right? Right, you see it? Strength under control. Gentleness does not mean weak. It means strength under control. The goal is restoration for that person while also not falling into the same sin trap they're in. Okay? This is really important. So look at verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The, the language here is actually like an animal trap. Because the person, let's just throw, throw out this idea real quick, don't miss this. The person who's caught in sin is not evil. They're trapped. They're in a snare. They're caught. They're locked in. They can't find themselves. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've all had sin issues where it was just, it was a harpoon in your heart and you couldn't take it out and you were just locked. It just, it hurt. You're not evil. Now, there is evil, but what we're talking about is someone who is sinning and we as a body, we find out that this person is sinning. They're caught in a trespass. How do we as a body, because that's the whole idea of this, right? Now we're, getting, we're putting feet on what Paul has been talking about. How do we approach that person? How do we come to that person? How do we deal with the sin issue? Because remember, we're bearing each other's burdens. Our shoulders are locked. When our shoulders are locked, 
When somebody's armpit smells funny, you're going to smell it. That's silly, but it's that, that's, that's the point. You guys see what I'm talking about, right? So the goal of it is what? It's right there. It's up on the screen. Restoration. The goal is not to run someone off or hurt a person anymore. Have you guys ever seen an animal in a trap? Right? If you just flippantly run up to this thing, and if you're not trying to kill it, right? Obviously, if you're trying to kill the thing, you're trying to kill the thing, but the illustration breaks down at that point. But here's the idea. If I go up to someone who's ensnared in a trap, and I just go to try to rip them out of it, I'm going to maim that person. I'm going to actually hurt them more than what the goal is. The goal is gentleness, to approach them in gentleness. Now, that does not mean that we don't call sin, sin. Okay? We're not, we're not, going, to, we're not going to not do that. We're going to you know, stand on God's word and what is sin is sin. But we're going to come to that person not as if they're evil and terrible and how dare they. But, hey, you're caught in a trap. And God has called me as a brother or sister in Christ to approach you in gentleness, to, in strength, but meekness, right? I'm not, I'm not barging down your door to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's how people get maimed and that's how people get hurt. Notice that Paul is assuming something in that statement. Look in verse 1. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What's so important about that phrase is he's saying, oh, if you're going to do this, make sure you're walking in the spirit. What he's not saying is make sure that all the sins in your life are dealt with before you go and talk to this person. What he is saying is, are you following the spirit of the God who saved you? Are you going to try to approach somebody about their sin because you have your own frustration? Or is your goal actually restoration of the person? We've got to check our hearts here. Where are we walking? Are we walking in the spirit of the flesh? Or that spirit? Are we walking in the flesh or are we walking in the spirit? This is hard. Because it's pretty easy to just be frustrated at somebody for doing something and then come and hit them over the head. That's simple. That's the easy thing to do. That's walking in the flesh. It's about myself and making me feel better as opposed to correcting the behavior and restoring the person who's in the trap. Do you see the difference? Is that making sense? If someone's moving, and we're going back to the moving idea, right? And you ask for help for people to move, right? Miss Deb, if we showed up at your house, like I, I came over to help you guys move, same situation. I showed up 35 minutes late, and I had sandals on. Am I helping? Probably not, right? I'm actually probably hurting the situation, right? Have you ever had that person? Have you ever been that person? You don't have to put your hand up. And so, I mean, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, we're supposed to do this, and then we kind of show up late or don't show up at all, and then, like, we, you know, uh, you know. And really, all you do is you kind of become part of a problem. You don't actually help anything. Miss Deb's like, I've lived this. <laughs> Absolutely, right? That's, that's not helping the ensnared person. That's not helping the issue, okay? Showing up late and not being prepared or being the person who wants to help but is so following the flesh and what they want that all they're doing is hurting the situation. 
Are you walking in the Spirit, and are you prepared to do what Paul, what God has called us to do through Paul's words here? And to approach the person with a spirit of restoration. Are you close enough to the folks here to do that? Because that's part of it too. Right? We're, again, we're a small group, right? I mean, this is real intimate, guys. This is ultra, ultra intimate. Are we close enough where we can have those conversations? I would say right now we're not, yet, maybe yet. And um, we're not, you know, yelling at us. We're not, you know, oh, terrible that you're not living life together as much as you maybe could have. But we as a body, that's, that's something we're called to do. We're called to be so close that, that we can have those conversations. And I think we're growing in that. I think we've taken huge leaps in it, but we're not there yet. But part of this is, is being locked in, arm in arm. Brothers. Paul's talking to the people who are following Christ. Have you accepted Christ? Are you following Christ? Then he's talking to you. He's talking to me. The next thing that you'll see, this is in verses 2 and 3. Uh, I titled this the, the misled person. Okay? So this, you ever, you ever see that happen, right? When you all had that, like you go to a restaurant, and it's like, oh, man, that burger looks great. And then you get it, and it's like, really? That's the burger? Seriously? Right? If you, if you Google image that, by the way, there are so many fast food places that people have done this to. You almost feel bad for the restaurants because maybe the person was just having a bad day, but it's, it's pretty... Pretty stark difference there. This is what I'm portraying. This is what I'm saying I'm going to give you, and then this is what you get. Sorry, tangent on food there. The point is that the misled person believes the lie that they are the most important person in the room. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is completely counter to our own self-importance. Look at the words in verse 2 and 3. These hit so home. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We just talked about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The misled person believes they're the most important person in the room. I would put out an idea that I think all of us have felt that. We, we, we all have our own, our own selfish, you know, default my default is that I'm awesome. Right? I think, that, I think that's true for a lot of us. And it doesn't necessarily... That's, let me be careful here. Our default is that we're very, very important. And this is hard. This is a very hard truth, guys. You are important. The God of the universe says you are. You're important enough that he paid for your life with his. But you're not so important that he can't move without you. Did you hear that? Not a person in this room, including the, the people that stand at this pulpit, are so important that God can't move without us. He's God. He can do what he wants and will. And if we fall into the, the snare, the trap of thinking that we're the most important person, that without us, this body won't function, right? But there's another side to that, too, and this is the hard part. Don't, don't miss this. Every single person in this room right now has a role in this body, and it's important. We all, have a, we all have spiritual gifts. He has called us to be a part of this body. But on the same token, he's God, and he can do what he wants. 
right? Both of those things are true. They're, 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 they can exist within the same sphere, of, sphere that we're talking about. They both exist, right? So every single person in this room is of the utmost importance because God paid for your sins and he loves you. But on the same token, don't take that and then think that you're so important that God can't move without you. You're misled if you think that's true. Because remember the point. Look at the verses. The law of Christ. You're supposed to be fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm loving you how I think I should be loved, guess what? You're feeling pretty loved. Because I really think I should be loved, right? How are we doing with that? How are we doing with loving one another that way? In sports, they had this thing called free agency. Okay, this is a sports illustration, but I think you'll understand it. You have players, you have coaches, right? And the players are under contract. Okay, so they say, I'm going to play this many years for your franchise for this amount of money. Well, then when that contract's up, the player can go into what's called free agency, meaning I can now remove myself from the team I've been playing on, and I can make my services available to all the other teams, right? I think I'm so good that the amount of money that you're willing to pay me, I think I can get more on the open market, so I'm going to make myself available. One of the things that happens over and over and over again in free agency is the athlete overvalues themselves. They think, I'm worth X dollars when the market says you're worth Y dollars. So they go out into the market and they're expecting this huge payday and they still get paid a lot of money. They're professional athletes. But they don't get the same amount of money that they thought they were going to get. It's a misunderstanding of your value. We as a body are valuable because God says we are. We're not so valuable that he doesn't work. Right? If this church body gets blown up right now, guess what? God still wins. I don't want that to happen. I don't think any of you guys want that to happen, but God still wins. He's God in the universe. He kind of went, hey, Jupiter, go. Right? That's who God, I mean, so those things, are, it's, 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 it's very hard to reconcile that in my own brain. So I would imagine that it's similar to that for you as well. But that's how big he is. That he loves us so much he paid for us, but at the end of the same time, he still works. He's still God. So, how are you doing with your value? Where are you finding your value? Are you finding your value in the fact that God of the universe paid for you? Or are you finding your value in what you bring to the table? Because what you bring to the table, he gave. He gave us that. The ability that I have, the ability that you have, the spiritual gifts we have, guess what? They came through that same spirit, right? So we're, we're really off track and backwards and misled when we think that we are something when we're nothing. He's God. Next one that you see, this is when you're dealing with yourself, okay? So we've dealt with the caught person in sin. Now we've dealt with the misled person. Now we're going to deal with ourselves, right? Because, you know, that's the person we got to deal with a lot. So God calls us to examine ourselves to ensure we are not falling into the enemy's snares. Not everyone will be able to bear their own burden, but they should try to do so. Again, this is some pretty hard stuff, but check it out in verse 4 and 5. Paul writes, but let each one test his own work, 
and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So does this not sound like a contradiction to what we just read a few verses ago about bearing one another's loads? Right? It kind of does. So I'm supposed to bear one another's loads. We as a body are supposed to come together, lock arms, get underneath, together, we're locked in. But I'm also supposed to bear my own load. How does that work? When we're a body, when we're together, some of us are going to struggle at things more than others. It's a hard truth, but it's just, it's just true. Some of us will struggle. It may be due, due to where we are in our, in our life, in our maturity, in the circumstances we find ourselves in. It may have nothing to do with what you're doing. It may just be the circumstances you find yourself in. Okay? Struggling through something is not a sin issue for you necessarily. There may be sin involved, but there may not be. It may be family concerns. It may be having to deal with relational issues at work. It could be other things that have nothing to do with you walking in faith. But just because we're all going to have burdens doesn't give us the right to just put up our hands and say, all right, we're a body, we're together, so I don't have to carry my weight. Do you see it? That's the point he's making here. He's saying we bear, we, we bear the load together. We bear each other's burdens. But while we're bearing one another's burdens, you're called to bear your own too. Don't, don't get so hung up in someone else's issue that you just let your own thing go. Right? Does that make sense? Is that hitting home? I, I was doing some, some digging on, you know, uh, diff different, like, checklists and stuff. A Boeing 747... Rick's head popped up. A Boeing 747, right? It has a three-page long checklist that I was able to find online. Okay? Check this out. Pre-flight checklist, power up, before starting, before taxi, start taxi, taxi out, before, ta before takeoff, de uh, descent check, at the transition altitude, approach check, after takeoff, at transition check, landing check, after landing check, parking check, securing check, and termination check. That's a lot of checks. Right? Would you say that's a lot of checks? It's like three pages and it's small font. These guys live checks. I thought pilots just got to talk and hang out in the cockpit. No, they're constantly having to check stuff. Each one of those is, has a detailed checklist attached to it. What I just read to you isn't, all right, pre-flight check, we're checked, cool. No, the pre-flight check has 17 points. And the before taxi check has seven, and it's, it's insane. Why do they do it? Exactly, it's kind of important, right? To ensure a safe flight. How are you doing with examining yourself? How are you doing with your checklist? Where are we at with that? Because if we're supposed to walk in, the, walk in faith, right? Walk in the spirit. Are we checking ourselves? Are we examining ourselves as, as God's word says? Are we, are we checking what it is we're doing? Because guess what? If we don't check ourselves, it's not going to be a safe or successful flight. It's not going to go well. We cannot expect to just, all right, we're good. We'll wing it. Not going to check where my heart is. Because guess what your checklist is? It's kind of God. It's the Holy Spirit. We have a checklist that is the God of the universe. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's insanity. 
and we get to walk with him and we get to check ourselves through prayer, through reading of his word and through revelation about what it is he's called us to do and how we're doing with that. Are we examining ourselves? Are we handling our own burden? Or are we so hung up with someone else's burden that we're just like letting it fall? Where are you at? Here's a really, really frustrating idea. It's something I've struggled with my entire Christian life. Taking sin issues to God. He already knows what the issue is. That's the thing that frustrates me. He already knows my sin issue. He already knows what's going on. And yet I still struggle with taking it to him. Is that true for you? That's part of our checklist. Is going to the God of the universe and saying, Alright, this, this is a part of my life that I have not surrendered to you. And the silly thing about it is, we all know in this room. I can look at your faces and tell. You know this to be true. He knows it anyway. Yet we still choose not to take it to him. Because he's dealing with the sin. It's not even us. We have to examine ourselves. He's called us to do it. We're bearing burdens together. But at the same time, we need to check and see where our own hearts are. Two more. The next one is the body. Okay? So the body, you see it in verses 6 through 10. We will reap what we sow. Sowing to our flesh will lead to more hunger from the flesh. We as a body are to sow in the spirit and watch as God moves in our community through us. Okay? Brass tacks here. He says, verse 6, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay? Not just talking about finances there. Not talking about necessarily just talking about giving there. He's talking about sharing. Because guess what's something really cool that's happened in this body just the last couple of weeks? We've gotten to interact with you guys about things God's doing in your life. And as a leadership team, that's really exciting. Like tears welling up in our eyes exciting about seeing what God is doing in your lives. That's sharing the good things, right? That's the body. That's part of bearing the burden is when it's like, oh, man, what is God doing here? When someone comes alongside you, pats you on the back and says, yes, listen to what God did. It's like, oh, man, yes. That's exciting stuff. But he doesn't stop there. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Walking in faith, walking in the flesh. That's the point that he's making. Now, when I say you reap what you sow, this is a thought, this is, this is something that we've all heard our entire lives, right? I'm not off when I say that, right? We've all pretty much heard that. That's, that's something we've talked about a lot. So if Pastor Michael is a horticulture guy, I think that's the word for it. He uh, plants a lot of stuff. That's what I know. So Pastor Michael, if you plant a hydrangea, what are you going to get? All right. I, I appreciate you elaborating, but I was looking for a little bit more direct answer. So you plant a hydrangea, you get... If you plant an orange tree... And don't say lemon tree, say orange tree. If you plant an orange tree, what do you get? Orange tree. If you plant a rose bush, what do you get? 
So why do we plant orange trees and then get mad when they're not roses? Do you see it? We plant a lot of orange trees. Oranges are good, but we want roses. I want pretty roses. You got to plant roses. Exactly. Thank you, Ms. Joe. Or, go ahead, sorry. That's the point. You see it. That's what he's saying. Now, God is not a genie. You're not going to put in the coins and then get out what you, it's, it's not, it doesn't work that way. What he says is don't tire of, of doing good and walk in faith. If we as a body want rose bushes, let's plant some rose bushes. We cannot do in the flesh and expect a spiritual benefit. Now again, he's the God of the universe. He can do what he wants. And if God wants to move, even though you know, we're, we're you know, got our own sin issues and not dealing with them, he can still do that. But his word is clear, and he says, don't expect it. Don't we dare expect it. If we want rose bushes, let's plant some rose bushes as a body. Where are we at with that, right? Seriously, are we walking in the flesh? Are we so focused on self and what we want that then when God doesn't move and God doesn't reach our community in the way that we think he's going to, we get mad at God when we're still walking in the flesh? That's what he's saying. He's saying don't miss that. And then when you walk in faith, don't tire in it. Because remember, it's not necessarily going to be this immediate result. You can see over and over and over again in Scripture, people that were faithful to God. And then we read the next verse when God does what he says he was going to do. But really, it was like 20 years later. That, uh, right? I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I want to plant the rose bush and I want a rose tree. I don't even think that's a real thing. Rose trees are real? I want a rose tree. Pastor Mike, we need to get a rose tree. Oh, there you go. So there, verse 21. No, I'm just kidding. But that's, that's the point of this. That's what he's talking about. We're, we're, we're closing up. We're getting to the end right now. The last one is the them. Okay? This is in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 18. Them are the people looking to make trouble within the body. They sow seeds of frustration, anger, and resentment. God's call in our lives is to know they will come, but focus on walking in the Spirit. Trust that He's got this. Who's the them in, in this letter? Who have we been studying about? The Judaizers, right? And where they, they came from Jerusalem, right? That's the them. And guess what? You see that, hello, my name is Trouble? That doesn't happen, right? I think we've all probably interacted with one of them, right? They don't have the sign that says, hello, my name is Trouble. It'd be sweet if they did, because then we could just figure that out, right? But we don't, okay? So what he says here is, see with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand, right? We made this point in, in the first week. Paul's writing this letter, and he's just going to town, and he's saying, look at the terrible penmanship I'm writing this with, because I'm so animated about it. It is those who want to make a good showing, verse 12, see it here, in the flesh 
who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast, that they may boast in your flesh. Okay, a lot of words. Here's what he's saying. They're walking in the flesh, and they want the, they want the benefit of walking in faith. They want that, but here's what they're going to do. They're going to tell you that you cannot have a relationship with Christ unless you keep the law, unless you're circumcised, right? Remember we talked about circumcision was the key into the Jewish people. What, do you mean, what, do you, what they're saying there is unless you completely follow the law, you, do not, you are not righteous before God. And what they want is they want the flesh. They want the self-satisfaction. They want to say, look who I converted to what we're supposed to be doing and missing the point of what Jesus did completely. Taking Jesus' sacrifice and saying it wasn't enough. It's flesh. Not walking in faith. Now do you see why it's so important for us in this body to walk in faith, not the flesh? Because if we walk in the flesh, guys, it would be so easy to screw this up. It would be so easy to interact with our community and not reach them and maybe even put them in a worse place than when we first met them. Do you see it? This is big deal stuff. He continues and he says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the Lord has been, by which the world has been crucified, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. If you take, if you're, if you're making a note there, Israel of God, think they're Jewish, Jewish believers. Okay, Israel of God. He says that to live by the Spirit, peace and mercy be upon them. If you live by the rule, remember what the rule was, okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. Peace and mercy be upon you. That sounds good, right? I want that on a, on a Hallmark card. You know what peace is? Peace is when crazy circumstances are going on, knowing God's in control. Doesn't mean the circumstances aren't crazy, and doesn't mean it might be horrible, but knowing God's in control. And mercy, the translation for mercy here, is grace in a miserable situation. Miserable is the word we want to hear there. So what he's saying to them is, following God, walking in faith, is knowing that when you're in a crazy situation, and it might be miserable, you have God's grace. You have His mercy doesn't mean the circumstances aren't terrible. doesn't mean it might be horrific. But you have His grace. We have His grace. Ocala grace, we have His grace. And that's what He's saying. And when the trouble comes, we've dealt with it. We have. When the trouble comes, and it won't end before... As God continues to move, it will happen again. Trouble will come again. And when it does, what we are to do is to know that God's in control, know He's got this, and continue to walk in faith. That's what God's called us to do. It's so hard. 
such a hard truth, but it's so true. It's, it, it's football season, obviously. Anybody here, show of hands, football fans, right? People that would watch a game. It's totally cool if you're not. That's fine. I'm not going to give you a hard time. But there's this thing that happens, right? I, I just want to set the scene because I think this illustration will, will really help it hit home for us. On a football field, you have two sides. You have the home team, the away team, however you want to describe it, right? You have the Buccaneers who are terrible, and then whoever else they play who wins. But you have these two teams. On a football field, the most important player is the quarterback. The quarterback is who's relaying the plays out to the team, telling them the routes to run, telling them what they are to do. The coach is the one who's creating the plays and sending them into the quarterback. Then you have an owner who owns the team and is watching what happens. The reason I'm using this as an illustration is because I think it hits home for that's the relationship that we have with the God of the universe. God is the owner who owns the field, owns the players, owns the people in the stands. Christ is the coach calling the plays in. He's, he's the one who's, who's literally put us in the game. Okay? Because of him, we can even play. The Holy Spirit is the quarterback saying, go run this route, block this person, do this. And here's the thing. If the play is run appropriately, this is back to regular football. If the play is run well, you can't stop it. That's the point. If it's done correctly, you can't stop it. You'll score points. The God of the universe has created this thing that we're in, the world, the universe. He is watching what his church is doing, his team. The Holy Spirit is calling out our plays, telling us what to do. And are we walking in faith? Are we doing what he said to do? When he said block that person, are we blocking that person? When he said deal with that sin with that person, are we dealing with that sin with that person? Or are we going on our own? And when I'm supposed to run this route, I'm running this route because you know what? That's more comfortable. And then no one's prepared over here. And we wonder why the play doesn't work. We're not listening to the quarterback, right? It's, I know it's, it's a silly illustration, but I think it helps it hit home for us. And that's what Paul is saying. We're a body together. We're going to interact with one another. We can trust that the quarterback of our team knows what's up, knows where to go, and is calling in the correct plays. And we can do this. We can do this. He has equipped us to do this. So why do you care? God has called you to be part of a body. We've heard that before. We know that it's true. Within that body, no one has it all figured out, and issues are going to occur. We are called to deal with those issues together. Those caught in sin are wounded, not evil, and should be cared for accordingly. Care for his church because he sees value in it. Know that the whole body benefits when we help bear one another's burdens. It's a benefit to all of us. It's a benefit to the person who we're helping. It's a benefit to us because we're helping, because he created us to do it. Last verse. Read what Paul says. Verse 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul, right there, is bearing the burden of those misled believers. Do you see it? 
Paul is literally practicing what he preaches right there. Paul is not on site. He's in a different place, and he's writing to them because they're misled. He's approaching them. He did it in gentleness, but strength in, in biblical gentleness. He approached them with the truth. He walked them through it through these last six chapters, through this letter to these Galatians. He practiced it. He bore their burden. And he ends it with grace and peace. Walk in faith. I love that he says, knock it off. He says, that's enough. No more. You know the truth. Walk with God. But Paul is doing what God called him to do to a body of believers that God had already saved and now we're walking with him. And now he's using those words to help us now. Do you see it? Do you see the magnificence of the God we serve? It is incredible. How are we doing with bearing one another's burdens? Let's get close. Let's pull in. And when issues arise, let's deal with them as, as a group, as a team, as who we are. And when it smells bad, talk to that person. Deal with the issues, right? He's called us to reach our community. He's called us to lock arms with one another. And we're starting to do it, and it's really exciting. But we're at the beginning, not the end. Let's walk with God together. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.